First Kings 17. Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook, and I have ordered the ravens to feed you there. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan, and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, go at once in Zarephath of Sidon and stay there. I've commanded a widow in that place to supply you with food. All right, let's pray. And fathers, we begin this morning and open up the life of Elijah and Lord, we are thankful for him, and uh, we pray that as you've recorded your interaction with him, your relationship with him in Scripture, for us to gain and glean and learn about how to walk with you, how to relate to you, Lord, how to live in a world that doesn't follow you, I pray, God, you'd speak to every one of us here, balcony, first floor, and that you would lead us to life that we would bring your word and your truth to those around us. In Christ's name, amen. All right, so today we're beginning a series uh, on Elijah for four weeks, and it's called The Power of, of a Hidden Life. And uh, our theme is Silence and Solitude this morning. Now, this is a, a hard message for where we live because we're addicted to noise and to doing. And most of us, we probably woke up this morning to our alarm clock to the radio. And then we got dressed, maybe the radio was on, we, we, we had some breakfast, some of you had the TV on. And uh, then you go to work during the week and there's, you get in the elevator and there's music in the elevator. And then you, you're at work and there's sounds all day, maybe in some of your places there's actually music playing, but there's just chatter and phones ringing and faxes going and beepers going off. And, and then you go home and, and you're, maybe you're on the subway and you're reading the paper again, more words coming into you and noise and the train's noise is, make, is going that way. You go home, maybe you exercise. As you exercise, you've got your CD player on, you know, and your, your iPod. And, and so as you're jogging or walking or maybe you're on a step machine, you're hearing again, more, more music. And then you go home and you have dinner and talking through dinner and then you get the TV on at night and then you want the music on before you go to bed. You read some magazines there and, and boom, it's been just noise all day long. And you get up and you do it again. And uh, it's almost like an addiction to noise. And when it's quiet, we get nervous. And we got to put some music on. So we walk in the house, get that TV on or something. Or we can't imagine being in the car for a long trip and not having the radio on uh, to know what's happening. And then you've got the whole, not just addiction to noise, then that whole addiction to, to doing, where I, I feel like if I'm not doing something, I'm, I'm wasting away. You know, my, my life, I'm a loser. And, and it's kind of like I have the scorecard. And me doing something gives me more points. If I'm not being productive, I... I just feel lousy about myself, like I just got to do something, even if, it's, even if it's being busy doing nothing, you know, I'm just, I'm busy and I'm active, and, and uh, our actions kind of become a, a criteria for our feeling of worth and value and identity. Maybe you've heard the expression, we're human doing machines, you know, not human beings, just being. It's very hard for us to just be, and, and um, today, as we're going to begin this life of Elijah, it's impossible to appreciate the life of Elijah unless you, you see the whole big picture. And, and this is a man who was extraordinary, and, 
He's one of the greats recorded for us in Scripture. Uh, and what makes him so extraordinary is, is the foundations of his life. We usually think of this great passage in, in chapter 18 at Mount Carmel where he, he does this great feat for God. But what makes Elijah so great and his life so awesome and elegant and beautiful was he had a life of, of, in the desert of silence and solitude with God. And it's out of that place his life was formed and shaped. And if you watch his life, it's going out of the desert, in the desert, out of the desert, in the desert. And here in this passage, we're going to see him really very early on in his ministry. God sends him to a desert, to a place of silence and solitude to shape him. And my prayer as we kind of move through this is that we're going to, it's so, this is so foreign to us in the West because, uh, you know, most of Western life is very busy, uh, very noisy. Even our Christianity is very heady, noisy, and busy. And uh, there's not a lot of like support culturally to the direction that Elijah moves in with his life. In fact, everything in our culture is going the opposite direction. So this is so radical for us living in the West. And it's very radical for the church of the West to even receive this message of Elijah about relating to God, having a life of some depth, etc. So let me kind of give you a little bit of background here um, because my prayer is that all of us, we're going to become the men and women he's called us to be. Uh, the kind of extraordinary life he's called us to live in. Elijah is an extraordinary person, but it takes a life hidden, a hidden life with God to have a life that's extraordinary in public. And that's what I want us to examine the next four weeks. In fact, we're going to get to depression and exhaustion next week, which we'll see in chapter 19. But here's the background, okay, before we get into this text. It's, it's about the 8th or 9th century before Christ. And Ahab has become the king of Israel. And he's married a woman named Jezebel. Some of you heard the name Jezebel. Hopefully you've been, not been called a Jezebel, all right? <laughs> Jezebel was from another country, Sidon, Tyre, and, and it was a marriage of political convenience. Uh, but she was a worshiper of Baal. Uh, and Baal was the very popular god around the Near East at that time. And he was the god that provided rain for the crop. So Obviously, in an agricultural society, if you don't have rain, I mean, you're going to starve, you're going to die. So everybody worshiped Baal. And that was the great temptation for Israel for the centuries, was, was to worship the true and living God and wait on him and not Baal when everybody else is going after Baal and seemed to be doing just fine with Baal. But when Jezebel and Ahab hooked up in a marriage, and Ahab, it says, was the most wicked king of all the kings of Israel. Israel had a lot of bad kings. In fact, the seven kings before uh, uh, Ahab were all evil kings. But it says Ahab was the most evil of all. Because when he married Jezebel, it became now a government program to push the worship of Baal and to crush all worshipers of the God of Israel. In fact, Jezebel made them secretaries of state and secretaries of treasury, put them in the cabinet office and the government, all these uh, you know, false prophets, and uh, they went after people like Elijah. So Elijah was under great pressure. I mean, it was very lonely to be a follower of God at that point. Can you relate to that? And that's why it's such an apropos book for us, because Really, in our culture, to be a true follower of the living God, it's a lonely place. I mean, you're not getting a lot of encouragement at work or at school or in your neighborhood, perhaps your family. And you feel like, I'm just all alone out here trying to stand for God. And the pressure is coming in every direction. And that's exactly how Elijah felt. And again, he got depressed at times and actually got some su suicidal. And it was very lonely. And it can be very lonely. But the power of his life came from this hidden place. And that's where I really want to go today. And... and um, in verse 1, you'll notice he, he goes to Ahab the king and says, 
there's not going to be rain for three years. And it's really a confrontation of the God of Israel with, with Baal, saying our, you know, God is God over Baal. So obviously Ahab and Jezebel at this point are out to kill Ahab, Elijah. In fact, they send out the troops to search for him all over to kill him. Now the Lord speaks in verse 2 and says this. The Lord says to Elijah, leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Kerith Ravine. Now that's the word I want you to underline, or circle, hide. That's our theme. God says, go and hide, and uh, east of the Jordan, you will drink from the brook, and I have ordered the ravens to feed you there. So uh, he comes from the desert region, but God calls him to a desert to hide, and the Lord says, okay, I'm going to send ravens to feed you in the morning and at night, and this little brook, you'll, you'll drink from it. Now, here's that word. The word hide is the key word. It's the main idea is to conceal yourself and to absent yourself. It's getting away from people to kind of be hidden to be with God. And he actually spends quite a bit of time here. We don't know how long. And then he goes to a, a widow's house in a different country. And again, he's hidden there as well. But um, he's directed by God to this place of silence solitude, loneliness, very vulnerable. Um, but he comes out of this after a season, and in chapter 18, he transforms the nation. He really is the most important guy in the whole country because he's the one person who's in touch with the living God. But he had to get away in a desert, hidden in silence and solitude with God to become this extraordinary person. Now, I hope in the next Next week or two, read through the next chapter 17, 18, 19, 20, and, and you'll get a great feel for the, the beauty of his life. Again, and, and the power of his life, and, and what a walk with God. What a, what a sense of self and who he was, and, and be able to withstand the pressures and everybody else's agenda around him. But again, it flowed out of this ravine or brook called a kereth, uh, Lorene, and, he's, and his hidden place with, with God. So here's what I want to talk about today is silence and solitude. And what it is, I want to explore it, and we're actually going to do it today, all right? Here's, let's talk about solitude first, and then silence, okay? Now, there's a lot of ancient Christian practices that have been used by followers of Christ all through history. Fasting, and this, is, this is an ancient Christian practice. We gather on Sundays to worship God and hear the word, uh, giving, we have an offering, worship, uh, fellowship, um, confession, but what is one thing that's been agreed on for the last 2,000 years from all types of believers from all over the world is that the most foundational spiritual discipline in the Christian life is silence and solitude. But yet because of where we live in the West and the, and the frantic activity level and the noise, it is the most difficult and challenging of all spiritual practices for us. Now, here's what solitude is. It's the practice of being absent from other people and things to be attentive to God. Now, it, it's, a, it's a practice. Now, it was, there was somebody here first service from Wyoming, and she loves this. She goes, I live in the middle of nowhere, and I love the solitude. She goes, but the problem is I'm not listening for God, <laughs> but I love the quiet. Okay, so, so you got to catch it. With, with a discipline of solitude is uh, I'm being absent from other people. It's like you're at work, and you go into the uh, broom closet, to leave everybody. But your point of going is to be attentive to God, to open yourself up to Him. And uh, so, um, you know, for example, there was a, there was a uh, you're rearranging your life so you can be responsive and hear Him. Now, in the fourth, second, third, and fourth century, there was a group of people living in Egypt, in the cities, Christians. 
and they fled to the desert. And they were called actually the desert fathers. You've heard me mention them before. And uh, they, they, they left the society because they said it's a shipwreck going down. And we've got to leave the noise of, actually, and that, they, were, they were saying the church because the church had become so noisy and worldly. We've got to leave, the, get to the desert so we get to God and come back into the world and save it. And uh, one of the fellows very famous was a guy named Arsenius, and he lived in a palace. And he, he said to God, they, they, wrote a, they wrote a number of books called The Desert Father's Sayings, and they're worth reading when you get a chance. But uh, he said to God, how can I be saved? And the Lord replied, flee from men, Arsenius, and you will be saved. So he fled the palace, and he went to the desert region. He gets there, and he says to God again, okay, God, you know, what else? And the Lord says, Arsenius, flee again. Go deeper in the desert. Be silent and pray always. Now, it was, it was Henry Nouwen who said this, and I wrote it down a number of years ago, and he said, without solitude, it's virtually impossible to live a spiritual life. It's pretty heavy. Without solitude, it's virtually impossible to lead a spiritual life. It's that foundational. Again, you can look at people like Moses in Scripture and, and John the Baptist, and obviously Jesus went to lonely places and prayed at different points and to mountain places. But with solitude, there is something else called silence, and they go together. And silence is, again, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a spiritual practice of quieting every inner, that's the great challenge, every inner voice and outer voice. Again, why? so I can be attentive to the living God. That's my point. And uh, again, it, this, is, this is probably the least practiced spiritual discipline in the Western church today. It's just so foreign for us. And, so, and you're gonna, we're going to do it at the end. We're going to do a little exercise for five minutes. It's going to be very difficult for some of you. And uh, again, one of the desert fathers wrote this. He said, for three years, Abba Akatho, he carried a stone in his mouth until he learned to be silent. Where are the stones? Lewis, where are the stones? I mean, it's an extreme example, but it shows you how difficult it is to actually embrace silence uh, to hear God. So now Elijah's willing when the Lord orders him, verse 3, leave, turn east, and hide in the Kareth ravine, okay? He enters into this silence and solitude. We don't know for how long. And he's open to God, and God is doing a work in him in a way that he had not experienced before. He's facing himself. He's experiencing God. That's going to enable him to, to, to go out. Now, a lot of things happen in silence and solitude. Now, you got to just, a lot of things happen that can happen in no other place. Now, one of the first things is we, we realize the ultimate reality that God is. Now, inside of you and me, there is, a, there is an infinite emptiness. I don't care how many relationships you have, if you're in the best relationship with you know, someone, you have great friends. Uh, there's nothing created on earth. There's no person that can fill the deep, and the word is infinite emptiness, that's inside of all of us. When we finally get to this place, we actually realize the depth of the infinity of the emptiness inside of ourselves, and that only the infinite God can fill that. And that everything else I am tying into, while I can enjoy them, they will never fill me. 
But that's, a, that's the first thing that I, I begin to realize when I finally do get to this solitude and silent place. But a second thing that happens there is I, I recognize that, you know what, um, I'm, I'm, I can't control life. It's, it really, this is an invitation to get rid of your addictions to control life around you. Now, some of you are involved in 12-step groups, and you can appreciate that whole thing, just letting go, letting go. This is letting go. And I'm like you. I like to control life. I, I've got a plan for your life, my kid's life, my wife's life. I, I, want, I want to help the mayor. I want to fix the traffic problems, you know. I want to take care of Iraq. Let's, let's solve that thing, you know, end that. You know, and, and um, I, I, I got my to-do list of 400 items. Uh, and what happens in Silence and Solitude is basically um, I'm not controlling do you understand? I'm, I'm, I'm before God, and I'm waiting. I'm, I'm, he's running this universe, and I'm not doing anything, actually, but listening for him and being with him. And, and uh, uh, the human mind is always trying to figure things out. This is so counter that, figuring things out. Don't you want to fix some people around you? It's just, it's just letting it go. Well, another thing that happens here, and the third thing is, is that the, well, this is why a lot of us run from this. We don't want to, when there's silence in the house, we immediately turn the TV on. You know, we're in the car, we just put that radio on. It's just, it's force of habit because when, we, when it's quiet, it's like all these monsters, these, these, these ugly dragons emerge and they're like, and from inside of us, and we're like, put the music on, you know, down, down. And it's very scary. And actually, it was really interesting. I, 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 um, you know, it's, yeah, it's for anyway. All right, don't go there. I, and I've met people, at, I, you know, as you know, we try to teach people how to feel in our emotionally healthy spirituality. We want people to learn how to feel because our God's a feeling God. And, and uh, you know, I, I had a person say to me yesterday, a very, you know, highly educated, sharp guy, he said, listen, Pete, I, I don't want to feel. Because when I start feeling, I don't, know, I, I don't know where it's all going. And I got a lot of anxiety about those feelings, so I'd rather not go there. And I said to him, what I always say to people, I said, well, the fact that you're not aware of what's going on down deep doesn't mean it's not going on. And you're probably leaking all over anyway. And what happens here in the silence and solitude is you're, you're stripped of all, we're stripped of our false self that's finding its identity in what people think. Do they like me? Did I, you know, was I successful enough? And how much I have? And I'm getting free from all that garbage so that my worth and identity is really in God and his love for me. But it's, it's, a, it's a furnace and it's a bit painful. It's a kind of, it can be a very uh, scary experience because all your, it's just like, oh my gosh, I'm here naked before God with all the layers removed. And so I want to put some layers on and get out of there and get some noise and people around me because it's too scary. So I begin to ask some hard questions. Now, this, you're saying this sounds, Pete, this is a great idea. We like it, good sermon. Uh, but this is very, very difficult to do. Uh, this is extremely difficult to do, and I, I don't want to minimize it. I, um, you know, I, a little story here from a, uh, you know, an ancient monastic tale that an, an elder uh, went to a business person and said that his business person, as a fish perishes, dies, if it's on dry land, uh, when you get entangled in the world, so you perish. The fish must return to the water, so you must return to the spirit. And the businessman was horrified. He goes, are you saying I must give up my business and go into the monastery? As you're probably saying, yeah, pizza to this monastic thing. There he goes, you know. And the elder responded, no, 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 definitely not. What I'm telling you is to hold on to your business and go into your heart. 
You see, this is talking about somehow getting a schedule and basically a rhythm in your life so that you've got, a, you've got scheduled time that you know you're going to be in silence and solitude with God. That this is so foundational to walking with Him that, because you know if you don't grab your schedule, the whole world's got a schedule for you. Everybody's got an agenda for your life. What makes us different is that we recognize all this time belongs to God. The most important thing in life is Him. And so I actually, this may be hard for some of you, I know it's hard for me, I have to plan my day. I have to like think it through and say, when am I going to get some time for silence and solitude? Because if I don't, then the world just takes me over and meet events and needs and phone calls and things to do. That's why I'm so committed to the daily office, as you know, that we have some pauses throughout the day. If you never listen to those tapes in the daily office, I get them because I, I believe it's a very critical component of getting a life where I'm, I'm, I'm thinking and aware of God all through the day when I'm working. You know you're growing when you're at work or school and you're aware of the presence of God. But you've got to pause at certain moments so that when you are doing, you're aware of him. And so it is grabbing hold of that schedule. I think part of it is finding a place. Think of it. We all have a room. Not all of us. Many of us have a room in our house or apartment to watch TV. It's a TV room. I mean, really, we should probably each have a room for silence and solitude or a chair or a closet. Maybe you can't in your place where you live, and it's got to be like a library, you know, or in the nice weather, obviously, a certain place in, the, in, the, in a park. But a, a place that's set apart, that this is, you know, that's where I go. I have a chair, you know, I just, that's my chair, you know, at my house. I, I, and I go to it. Now, I got doors, people knocking and trying to get it. Now, I know some of you women with small children, you know, you got to go in the bathroom and lock the door, you know, and uh, just pray it's going to be okay out there. But if you don't schedule it, you know it doesn't happen. And now Elijah, the Lord sent him to hide. Hear this. The Lord, there's a part of your life right now that God is sending you to hide in the Kareth Ravine to be with him in solitude and silence. This is, this is foundational for you developing a walk with Jesus. But I'm not underestimating as a beginner in all this either how incredibly difficult this is. I like what Dallas Willard said. He said, what, um, silence is frightening because it strips me as nothing else does, and it throws me onto the stark reality of life. It reminds me of death when I'll be cut off from the world, and it will only leave God and us. So, here's the challenge to do this, and here's one of my big, there's a number of issues, but one of my biggest one is can I trust God to take care of the world while I'm not doing anything? <laughs> and I struggle with that because I'm like you. I sit there and all these things that need to be done now fill my mind. In fact, someone at the first service gave me a stat and said that we have six to his, his some of his PhD friends in neuroscience have said, we have six to 7,000 thoughts that go through our mind every day. And that's one thought every six seconds. And so when I pause, thoughts are just coming my way. And uh, so I, I struggle with, I, I got to do this, I got to do that, I got to do this. And it's like Jesus, when he went into the wilderness, all the beasts emerge. emerge. It's like I, I stop to be silent and solitude and boom, boom. It's like all the, all the stuff comes at me. 
And I want you to look at the story of Elijah because what happens, he goes to the Kareth Ravine and he's got to trust God for, his, for, for what's going on. He's got to trust God to take care of life and himself. He goes to this ravine and the Lord says, I'm going to send ravens to feed you meat in the morning and meat and bread at night. Meat and bread in the morning, meat and bread at night. Now, I'm, I'm sitting there saying, a raven? Now, ravens were considered unclean animals to the Jews. So that was like they hated ravens. But God said, I'm going to use a raven to feed you. Now, I'm thinking, okay, bread and meat by a raven. I'm thinking, well, what's, what kind of meat? Chicken, beef. I hope it's cooked. I don't know. I mean, what's... And I was thinking, I'd rather not have a raven. They, they feel kind of dirty. Maybe we get like an, a nice... A dove. You know, that'd be nice, you know? And suppose he doesn't show up tomorrow. I mean, he's coming today. Like, like I say, God, can we just have like a week's worth? Like, does that be like one... God loves that one day at a time thing, you know? And it's like, oh. And then... Of course, God doesn't give him a reservoir, like upstate, no, or God gives him a little brook. A brook is, you know, for those of you, I mean, a brook is like a little, little stream, and it's like, that's it? And now here's the killer, you ready for this? As he's there, it doesn't tell us how long, if you look at verse 6, it says, after some time, the brook dried up. Now, the God said, I'm gonna, you're going to drink from the brook. Now, just imagine, you're Elijah. Okay, you're eating the raven food, it's coming, you know. Now, it's a desert, okay? You're going to die without water. And the brook, and God promised, I'm gonna, you're going to drink from the brook. The brook dries up. Now, what would you do? I'd go, I'd say, give me a map. Give me a map. I'm finding the nearest water park. I'm getting out of here because this is not working. So it's like, God, I'm going to get in silence and solitude. Okay, I'll listen to Pete, you know. I'll give it a shot, you know. Spiritual disciplines, it's in the Word, all right? And it's like, this ain't working. Life is crashing around me, and uh, things aren't getting better. They're getting worse. And so I'm going to get my map out, and I'll run the show, and this doesn't work for me. It's for other people. Elijah stays and waits. And then God speaks to him and says, okay, Elijah, now go to this widow at Zarephath in, in uh, Sidon. He has to leave the country and go to this widow in a, in, in a city called Zarephath. And the Lord says, she's going to feed you there. Now imagine this. So the guy is thirsty, all right? I mean, he leaves. He's traveling quite a ways. And this widow is poor and she's destitute. She's a Baal worshiper and she's preparing her, she has a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil and she's preparing her last meal for her and her son so they can die of hunger. So that's God's provision for Elijah. So he goes to her and said, give me something to drink and give me something to eat. And she says, well, just so you know, it's all I've got left. We're about to eat it and die. <laughs> now, I don't know if if you were Elijah, you'd say, I don't think this is working. I, I, this silence is hidden. It, maybe I'm going back to Jerusalem, the big city where there's a Walmart and a Wallbound and Kifu, because this following God. I mean, so you're saying, as, we're, as you launch into this, you're not, you're, you're not doing, you're not being productive. You're, saying, you're, you're waiting essentially on God and being with him and in relation with him, and, and it can seem like this is ludicrous. But this is what makes his life great, is that he goes to that hidden place, and it's in his life, as we'll see in the next couple of weeks, this was, his life was about desert, like John the Baptist, like Moses, uh, like Jesus going to lonely places and praying. What makes his life great is he has a hidden life. And it's in him, this disciplines of silence and solitude. And then when it's the moment, as you know, under pressure to, to 
where Christ will flow out of you, it flows because it's who you are. It's that, that you're carrying that very presence of God in your person. And you're not performing or trying to do it. It's just who it's you. And Elijah is a great man for that. So, so now here, here's, I'll tell you the truth. I mean, I, I, had, a, I had a bad couple of weeks. You know, I, my, you know my, I've got my rhythm, you know, and rhythm of life, which, which like you, I've got lots of voices screaming at me. And I've got more than I can do in three lifetimes. And, but I've got my rhythm, but it's, it's a tenuous rhythm. You know, if something interrupts it, I get knocked off track. So... I went to fix our bathroom tub, and I put the, I, I, I put the uh, snake down, and I busted a pipe. And so, bam, came the water. I didn't know the thing was busted. I'm running the water, and it's going into the first floor in the basement, but I had no idea. So by the time I kid screamed, about a half hour later, I had a pretty massive problem on my hands, you know? And just trying to save a few dollars, you know how it is. Um, <laughs> and so now I've got a catastrophe. And then, of course, our children are not in school anymore, so that schedule's knocked out. You know, I'm bored. Okay, you're bored. You know, and, and just all the summer dynamics that happen. Of, of all of our schedules change and vacations and new things to do. And so, and then with, you know, stuff at other work and trying to write and speak, I'm just like, I'm like I, I, just, I just lost it. You know, I, I like to call it, I went manic. You know, manic. You know, I, I'm manic when I know, like, I'm, I'm trying to be with God and my mind's just racing, you know, and... You know, I, I, I read a psalm, I don't even know what I read, but I'm sure it was very good, you know, that kind of a thing. I, you, you realize you're, I'm kind of out of control. So I said, I'm in trouble here, you know, I, I've lost center, I've lost my moorings. And, and uh, so I said, I gotta I got just drop everything, I've, I've gotta get away. And um, so I did, I just, I went away. And, uh, you know, to retreat center, you know, and just quiet in the woods and sat there, you know. And, and I just, I said, I, just, I gotta just, I gotta get centered. I just started to meditate on just, on some scripture. I said, I gotta get get on some scripture, the fact of I am God's beloved son, and that's who I am, and it's not, uh, and to live out of that, and not try to perform and do all this stuff, and, and I just needed time to kind of like detox, and for me, and I don't know what works for you, you know, I, I had to, you know, oh, I'm sorry, this is, this is the suffering, he suffered, is it, sorry, I'm going back to the point here, he suffered in his silence and solitude, but Paul says, we rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance, character, and character, hope. But you don't get to hope, which is, hope is means no matter what happens in your life, you have a sense of God is good, God's on the throne, I'm trusting him, my hope is in him. That's maturity. Nothing shakes you. But you don't get there unless first you've got character, perseverance, and suffering. But suffering first, then you've got to persevere through it, and then you develop perseverance out of suffering, then out of perseverance comes character, and out of character, Paul says, comes hope. What was happening for Elijah, he's being tested in that, in that desert place. He is developing a place of hope where he walks into a place where nobody believes in God, and he declares that there is one true and living God. He's got a hope and a certainty that flows out of a life that includes some suffering. And I'm telling you, to try to move into this foundational silence and solitude is so far out that it, it'll involve some suffering to shift your life and find a hidden place out of all your activity. Because people will think you're crazy. In fact, some Christians are going to think you're crazy. What are you doing? But you know it's that hidden place with God where one is transformed. And I can't be active for him unless I get to that place of being hidden in him. And so, I'm sorry, my, back to my, 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 my story here. 
Now, again, everyone's got, you got to find, find your thing. What do you need, you know, to center down? Some it's music, and others it's walking in creation, and others it's reading a devotional book. For me, I just had to get to some, some foundational scriptures for me and just meditate on them for a while and just bask in the love of God. I just had to just, just be in the love of God. Uh, and, you know, I started meditating on passages like Psalm 139. You hem me in behind them before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. And so I started thinking about, hem- I, just, I just started, you know, just sitting there and I'm, I'm just imagining God like hemming me in, like he's on this side, you know, he's on this side, you know, Pete, I got you. And, and you've laid your hand upon me. I'm just like feeling the, the hand of God on me. Like, I'm like, oh, you know, okay, forget the plumbing leak. Yeah, it's okay, you know. And, and just, wow, like I'm that important to you that, that you'd lay your hand upon me. And then, like Isaiah 49, you know, can a mother forget a baby at her breast? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. See, I've engraved you on the palm of my hands. And I just like, Lord, like you would engrave me. I mean, you got a, you got a big job up there, you know. And like, you know, imagine like three, four inches into God's hand. He goes, Pete, that's how important you are to me, that, that I've engraved you in my hand. Just be still, relax. Just enjoy me. I'm like, oh. And then you know, I'm in Ephesians 1, you know. I've chosen you before the foundations of the world. I'm like, oh, me, I'm a mess. Oh, I love you. I love you, my son, you know, and that's why I sent Jesus to die, you know, and I predestined us to be adopted as his son through Christ. I'm just starting to think about my adoption. He's made me a son. His righteousness is all gifts. I just, I just needed to be there for a while. But that was my process. To, and then I had to look at my schedule and say, I got to grab hold of my life. And I realized I can't even go, because summer's like, summer's so different for me, schedule-wise, there's so many new things happening that I just, just got to grab each day and say, when am I going to get that time of silence and solitude? Because if I don't, I get swept away. Elijah was so rooted, he didn't get swept away. That's what made him great. And I'm telling you, it's, we think it's New York City. It's not New York. It's, it's rural Ohio. Okay? It's, all, it's, it's the Western culture we live in. The difficulty of stopping and getting a rhythm in our lives to do it. So... God's call for us is somehow to get to him, union with him, one with him, being true to ourselves, enjoying this intimate relationship. So what we're going to do right now is I'm going to lead you in a little exercise. We're going we're gonna to do the discipline of silence and solitude right here in this room on, in church on Sunday morning, all right? And here's what we're going to do. Um, um, we're gonna have a, you're going to do the radical discipline of silence and solitude. I'm going to ask you to write these few things down, okay? Uh, we're going to be still, all right? Now, this, this is going to be a task. You know, let go of your grip on life. And again, I'm, we're going to, he leads me beside still waters. So right now, hopefully, the Lord Jesus is going to lead you beside a still water, okay? Not a, not a roaring Niagara Falls. And quietness and trust is your strength. We're going to go to a place of quietness because if you can get there, there's strength there. When you are on your bed, search your heart and be silent, okay? And I love when David writes in Psalm 131, he, he, he says, I have stilled and quieted my soul. I want you to hear this. This is not something natural to any of us. This is a discipline. This is a, a discipline like other spiritual disciplines that one learns and grows and exercises. So, so here, here's, oh, and be still, of course, this famous verse. Be still and know that I'm God. But again, easier said than done. All right, now. The ancient practice of silence and solitude. Here's some guidelines, all right? Uh, Write these down because I'm going to ask that you try every day to take five minutes and do this, this little discipline of silence and solitude. 
So first, I want you to be attentive and open. Attentive means you're responsive to God. I'm just, I'm being with the living God. It's about a relationship. Now, if you don't hear anything from God, it doesn't matter. That's not the point. If it didn't feel tremendous, that's not the point. It's just I'm being attentive and open to God. Just don't fall asleep. Number two, sit still. It's very hard. Somebody's going to be tapping your foot, you know, and just you got to say, God, help me sit still. You know, some people are like, oh, I got a niche. I got a niche, you know. Just, just try Say, God, help me be still. All right, five minutes. Sit straight. Very important, okay? Because, you know, you can't be like, you know, you know, it's like this, you know, Stacho. You know, so you want to, you're attentive, all right? You, you, you sit straight in your chair and get comfortable. And, um, and then this breathing slowly, deeply, naturally, uh, it, you know, I got some counsel once from a, 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 a trappist who, who spent many, many years, I mean, 50 years doing, you know, silence and solitude and offices and all that. And he said, I'm only a beginner. I'm like, you're only a beginner. Oh, my goodness, you know. Because I, I, the, the reason we always feel like beginners is because, again, this is such a, you realize the infinite desire inside of yourself for rest and for God, and only that infinite God can fill it. It's so deep. And so what's going to happen is your mind probably is going to fly. And you're going to wake up three minutes later and say, why am I thinking about Susie at the grocery store who didn't give me back all my change, and why didn't I say something, and the coffee was cold anyway, and, you know, and you're like, oh, oh my God, oh my God, oh, say silence, solitude. So what, what, what you want to do is, when that happens, and it happens, you, there's two things that I do, and maybe it'll help you. Uh, one is breathing, I, I remember my breathing, and so I'm, I'm breathing in, and I'm like, I'm breathing in the Spirit, say, so Holy Spirit, fill me, it's kind of symbolic, just to get me centered, Holy Spirit, fill me, Lord, take, you know, just fill my life, Lord. And then I breathe out, Lord, just all of me that's not of you, just get rid of it, Lord. Just get rid of it. And it just helps me kind of get back in and focused on, on, on the Lord. So one is my, I, get, I, I remember my breathing. And the second thing I do, and I, I like the Jesus prayer. You know, the Jesus prayer is that famous spiritual practice that comes from the Eastern church, you know, Russian church, Orthodox church, which is, you know, Lord Jesus Christ, you know, have mercy on me. I just say, Lord Jesus Christ. I just say the name of Jesus. Have mercy on me. And it just kind of gets me focused again. And I try to go back to silence. So again, whatever it is for you. But those two things help me, and they may help you. And then lastly, uh, close your eyes or lower your eyes towards the ground. Okay? But again, don't fall asleep. Uh, and again, to try to eliminate distractions. So again, here's what we're going to do. We're going we're to... Now remember, if, if it's true that six to 7,000 thoughts go through your mind a day, you're going to have a thought every six seconds. So you've got hundreds of thoughts. Someone said you have 500 coming at you maybe in this five minutes, and you're trying to go the other direction. You know? So you've got a pretty big clash going on here. And so let's ask God for help uh, to be silent uh, before him. And so, so all right, so can, can we give it a shot, everybody? All right. Okay, so get in your seat. And now, listen, I'm the timekeeper. All right, so, so if it seems like five hours, it's not, Okay. Um, but I'll let you know when the five minutes is up, so just don't worry about the clock, all right? Don't get nervous. Okay, so let's begin. It's funny hearing people's response after first service, you know? Some said it was excruciating. You know, other fellows said, I just, I, I can't believe, I didn't want to leave. In other words, I, I've, I can't remember when I had five minutes of silence in my life. It's 
been so long. So my invitation to you uh, this morning is that you will take those little guidelines and this is an invitation, I believe, through Elijah, through this scripture story, for us to recover the discipline, just like we come together here as a discipline of Sabbath, of worship, to stop because God's on the throne, to enter more deeply into an intimacy with God, your relationship with God, outside the noise and the busyness of life that's just screaming at us all the time. This is a journey, and it's saying goodbye, in a sense, to life as we know it. And when you come out of it, I, if we would get this, I believe, in our lives, People will recognize you. They're like, what happened to you? You just seem so calm, you know? You're not so manic all the time, you know? Just sometimes, and like for me. And, and I'm working on it. But, um, you know, there's a famous saying, go to your cell, and the desert follows you to say, I don't know what to do. These say, go to your cell, which is a room. Your cell will teach you everything. And uh, there's something about that place. So I want to invite you... Each day, now I don't know if you do the daily offices, like yesterday I was speaking somewhere and I usually, I'm very committed, my, I need like that noontime break with God to do a little daily office with him. And I got wrapped up in a big conversation and my lunch got filled with people. And then I was, bam, before I knew it, I was back on the speak and I was like, I stood up and I was like, oh my goodness. I, just, I felt like I just, like, I can't, it was just constant people. And I really felt the difference just of not having, I, I just got swept up. But I, for me, I got to pause midday, and I'll start with like just five minutes of just being silent. And then I'll read something maybe afterwards, something very brief, but that, it, it changes my whole day. So I want to encourage you to just try once a day this five-minute thing and journal about just what happens. Don't judge it like, was it good? It's not for me. It doesn't work for me. It doesn't work for anybody. It's not easy. This is counter everything in your flesh and your culture, but it's a place of life. And I tell you, friends, God commanded Elijah to go hide. Somehow, for your life and your person, I don't know if we got these slides, they were, oh, thank you, Michael. You know, I, I, I always throw these up a lot. You know, this is, here's our activity level, our busyness, and here's our, our silence and solitude with God. It's very, it doesn't correspond, and our life thing's all twisted up because we just haven't gotten centered. And we're trying to get as a balance. And God's got a call for your life, and it's a great life. It's an extraordinary life. But it's got to have a foundation of some balance of activity, but you've got this contemplation or some silence and solitude with God. Now, what that's going to mean for you is going to be different for me and Shirley and Joe and, and, and Susie up there. But what's it for you? But hear this. All through church history, silence and solitude, from Moses to Elijah to John the Baptist to Jesus to Paul, this silence and solitude was just a part of their lives. It's not, it wasn't everything in the Christian life, but it was, it's probably the foundational discipline, and it's so lost in the Western church today. So I invite you, I want to invite the worship team to come on forward to, um, to shoot for it. Let me close with the story as they come. The story about an old, a carpenter with his apprentice, and they were going through a huge forest, and they came across this massive oak tree, massive branches, and very beautiful, and very tall. And the carpenter says to this apprentice, do you know why this tree is so tall and so beautiful and so old? And the apprentice said, I have no idea. And the carpenter responded, it's because this tree is useless. It has been use it, it is, if it had been useful, they would have cut it down a long time ago 
and made tables and chair and paper out of it. But because it's useless, it could grow tall and be so beautiful that now you can sit in its shade and relax. And really, this is about a call to maybe do less and slow down so that you might grow into a life that is tall and beautiful. And people can come near you and experience shade and God. Or you can choose to be super active 24-7, and it appears like you're getting a lot done now, and you've made a couple of tables and chairs, but you never quite grow into the beautiful life that God intended. Elijah grew into that beautiful life. Now, it wasn't all peaches and creams, and next week we'll talk about his depression and exhaustion. But he found a hidden life in God of great power. So let's all stand. And let's open up our hearts to God. Just close your eyes for a moment. Lord, I I know I, I feel like a, a baby. I, I feel like, Lord, in some ways this, this message is impossible to do with our own flesh and the, and the pressure of the culture. But Lord, uh, we affirm, as Paul said, that I am crucified with Christ, and nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in us. If you receive Christ, the God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit is inside of you. The Trinity, God of glory is inside of you. And greater is he that's in you than he that is in the world. And just like it felt impossible that Elijah would ever follow God in the midst of Jezebel and Ahab and all the pressure coming on him. It sometimes feels impossible, I know, to me. And Lord, you know, to us to, to be able to do this. So Lord, we look to you. We cry out to you, Lord, to do a work in us, to follow Jesus to love Jesus. We thank you for the cross and the gospel and grace that's gotten us to this place. And we know it's going to be grace that takes us forward. So we surrender our hearts to you, Lord, because we can't change ourselves. We invite you by the Holy Spirit to change us and make us the men and women you've uniquely called us to be. You know, it was Bonhoeffer who said many years ago that if you, people who try to live in a community, we're a church community, who don't have solitude are dangerous. And those who have solitude without community are dangerous. That you need both. And, and if you don't get solitude and silence, you're dangerous. Ask the people who live with you. <laughs> and so as we close here, and I want to invite the prayer teams to come forward, I, I want to, I guess, you can always come, you can come forward for anything, you know, healing, whatever, emotionally, physical, spiritual, and obviously always to receive Christ and become a Christian if you're, you know, you're crying out to him. But I want to give one kind of broad application here related to today, and, and that is that you're here and you recognize that your life is all twisted up. And you, know, you, you, you know Christ. I mean, you're like, I, I know what it is to be centered, I, but I'm, so, I'm just so off base. I'm just, I'm, I've wandered, you know, and I don't even know how to get back because I've got so much in my head and so much going on and I can't seem to get rhythm and any kind of control of my life so I can be with God. And I'm like on a locomotive and I can't get off it. And I know that I've been there and I, I go to someone, I need pray, to pray for me. 
and to help break this off of me. I, I, just, I just need grace. And part of being a community is we pray for each other. Because it's a scary when you're feeling like I can't get back to where I know I want to be. And so as we close here, I want to invite you to come for prayer. And just saying, you just come very humbly. You know, God gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. You say, God, help me. You know, I just, I just know I'm, I'm not where I need to be in the terms of silence and solitude in my walk and being with Jesus. I'm skimming off the top. I'm living off old spirituality and other people's spirituality. And I'm, 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 it's a mess. I need some help. Oh, God, help me. All right, so let's pray. And I want to invite you to come. Don't be ashamed. Because there's nothing more important in life than for you to be connected to Jesus, who's alive, who's here this morning. We celebrate his resurrection, his ascension. He's here, and he loves you. He died for you and lives for you. And he ever intercedes at the right hand of the Father for you. And don't walk out of here in shame and embarrassment that you've messed up again. Because the grace and the love of God is here for you. And he's laid his hand upon you. And he invites you to come. To come. Not in shame, but to come for love and embrace. Because he's engraved you on the palm of his hands. He's hemmed you in to the right and the left. He's chosen you from the foundations of the earth. He's adopted you as his daughter and as his son. You come to your father, Abba. Ask you to cleanse me, empower me, fill me, Lord. Help me, God. So, Lord, you know those whom you're touching now that need to come and humble themselves and ask for prayer. Give them courage, Lord, to respond to your Holy Spirit and to come. And, Lord, may we be a church family that's rooted, like Elijah, in silence and solitude with you. That our life, then, with people has an aroma of beauty and elegance and joy to it like Elijah's did. We thank you, Lord, for this day. We love you. We bless you. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and may the Holy Spirit just be with you now as you go. In Jesus' name, amen. Blessings, everyone.